I'm Jessica Denson, host of Lights On with Jessica Denson here on the Midas Touch Network. It is now officially game on to ensure that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, barring Trump from ever holding office again, is dutifully enforced. Here on Lights On, we've been interviewing the watchdog group at the forefront of these efforts, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, otherwise known as CREW. And now CREW has filed their first major lawsuit to bar Trump from the ballot in the state of Colorado. It's great to be joined by CREW's co-counsel, Colorado attorney Mario Nicholas. Mario, welcome to Lights On. Thank you for having me, Jessica. It's absolutely my pre pleasure. You know, I've been pushing your colleagues at Crew to give me details about this lawsuit, and, and they've been um, understandably cautious about the details that they wanted to give before you filed. So it's great to have you back to now get those details. I just kind of wanted to lead us off, share a comment that um, Harvard constitutional law professor Lawrence Tribe put out the other day. He said, this is the strongest of the suits filed to compel secretaries of state to apply the 14th Amendment's disqualification clause to Trump. The six plaintiffs clearly have standing under Colorado law and ironclad legal and factual research to back up their complaint. So that's some very, very high accolades. Mario, just give us um, right off the bat an overview of what this lawsuit asks for. So what this lawsuit asks for, it's, it is based on Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Um, but what, it, what we're asking is for the court to basically declare that Donald Trump is not eligible to be on the ballot because he engaged in insurrection. And if the court finds that, then we want the court to tell the Secretary of State for Colorado, uh, you are that, tell the Secretary of State not to put him on the ballot, not to give him access to the ballot in Colorado, um, either the primary ballot or any other ballot for that matter, because he would no longer be eligible. He'd be disqualified. That, in a nutshell, is our case. And as I understand it, you represent six plaintiffs four of whom are registered Republicans, two of them are independents, um, several of them voted for Trump before or worked as Republicans in the legislature in Colorado. Um, explain to me uh, how you got these, um, I would consider, you know, brave individuals together to file this lawsuit and why they are so uh, committed to it. Sure. So a lot of them are people that I've known for years and years and years, um, and I've worked with them. So I've represented Republicans for a um, decade and a half, probably in election law. Uh, and let's be clear, these are not just registered Republicans. Norma Anderson was the state majority leader in the state Senate as a Republican, state majority leader in the state House as a Republican. Uh, she started campaigning for Republicans by campaigning for Dwight Eisenhower. She has an I like Ike button that she originally got. So decades and decades of being a Republican. Uh, Claudine uh, Samarita, who is whose name was Claudine Schneider, Representative Schneider, was a personal friend of Ronald Reagan's. Um, these are people who have a vested interest in the Republican Party, and they're bringing it together because we sat down and we talked. And you know, over the last several years since Donald Trump became president, there's been concern about him here or there. But then after January 6th, they just knew this man cannot be allowed to take power again. He is engaged in insurrection. He has fought against the U.S. Constitution. He cannot hold power in this country again. And basically, a lot of folks came together, a lot of concerns. Um, but these folks basically said, it's important to do the right thing. We just want to do the right thing. This, this country is a rule of law country, and it is important to make sure that we abide by the rule of law. 
That's wonderful to hear. It's a it's a nonpartisan and bipartisan effort, um, really a Republican and independent led effort. Um, and just to refresh our, our viewers on Section 3, Section 3, of course, says that somebody who engaged in insurrection or gave aid and comfort shall not be permitted to hold office again. And I want to dive into a little bit with you, Mario, um, why you brought this lawsuit in Colorado um, and why you have uh, named the Secretary of state and Donald Trump together as respondents or defendants in that lawsuit. Can you explain a little bit um, about what you're asking the Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, who is, by the way, a Democrat, to do? Sure. We, we are saying, well, what we're actually saying is that um, Carter law and Carter statute allows us to challenge her against taking any wrongful act that she has taken or that she's about to take. In this case, we think she's about to take actions that would certify him to the ballot. And that includes accepting a statement of intent of candidacy from Donald Trump. We think that a court needs to tell her she's not allowed to even accept that. She's not allowed to accept his uh, money. He's got to file a $500 fee to be on the ballot. Um, she needs to reject all of that. And that's what we want the court to tell her to do. Uh, in Colorado, we have a lot of laws that make it uh, easy to make these challenges, to bring a challenge and to request this other secretary of state. Uh, furthermore, our case law is pretty clear that it needs to go to a court. So we thought this was the perfect place to file a lawsuit because of the laws and the way that they work in Colorado and moving forward. And, and again, I want to be clear. This is a rule of law case. This is not a political case. A lot of folks are like, oh, you're just trying to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. This is not about politics one way or the other. Donald Trump is not going to win in Colorado if he's the nominee um, the general election or not. He he lost by nine points to Hillary Clinton. He lost by 15 to Joe Biden. He's not winning. But it's the principle. It's it's the rule of law. Our, our country has a constitution and we have to follow it. And that's why we brought the case here. We think that Carter's law will help bring it to the state Supreme Court and then hopefully up to the United States Supreme Court. I definitely want to talk about how you expect to see this case move up and the timing of that. But just to, to give our viewers perspective, um, Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold responded with a statement to your lawsuit. She said, um, I look forward to the Colorado court's some substantive resolution of the issues and am hopeful that this case will provide guidance to election officials on Trump's eligibility as a candidate for office. And she said separately, um, she's been very clear. She said has said Trump did incite an insurrection and attack our democracy. Look, Donald Trump tried to see the 2020 election, it was a blatant attack on the United States and the American people. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, um, having said what you said about Colorado being a state that will very likely go blue once again, um, more than having a political bearing on the state of Colorado, does this case have the potential to set precedent that affects other states and the decisions of other secretaries of state? Absolutely. I think that I think that's right. I think what will happen and we do think uh, I'll back up a little bit. The timelines in this case actually suggest that we should have a hearing within five days of filing our complaint. So five days of yesterday, um, uh, we have asked the court if they would have to like to have a case management conference to talk about that schedule. Uh, but it will be heard very, very quickly. Uh, we assume that after that happens, whatever the decision is, it will be appealed to the Colorado State Supreme Court. They will take a crack at it and they will take a look at the record and the law. They'll make a decision. And then that decision ultimately is appealable to the U.S. Supreme Court. 
That's the path that we see it taking. Uh, a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court would absolutely have a domino effect across the rest of the country. Um, if they decided in our favor and they decided that he was disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, I believe you would see Secretaries of State immediately use that decision to remove him from the ballot across the country. Um, some of them might be resistant, but those who are resistant would likely draw their own um, lawsuit in their state saying, hey, look, the Supreme Court's made its decision. So now we are going to ask you to abide by the Supreme Court decision. That's the domino effect that I think we're looking at. To our viewers who are saying, wait a minute, are you talking about this Supreme Court that we have right now? You're, you're depending on them. I just want to remind, <laughs> remind everybody that at least on the subject of this extreme overreach by Donald Trump, even this court that we have has been hopeful. They rejected the 11th hour bid in 2020 from now indicted Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton on behalf of Donald Trump to try to get the election overturned. They also sided with the January 6th committee to receive the documents that Donald Trump wanted withheld. So at least on this issue, there is hope. And also, uh, there has been this chorus, this really strong chorus of people across the ideological spectrum, including Judge Michael Luttig and these constitutional law professors, William Bowd and Michael Paulson, who who put out this um, now highly circulated and, and very strong case called the sweep and force of Section 3 um, for why, why, in fact, Section 3 is not optional and must be enforced. And one of them, I mean, one of them clerked for Chief Justice John Roberts. I know, Mario, you mentioned to me over the phone how um, encouraged you were by the fact that Stephen Calabrese, the co-founder of the Federalist Society, has been a very strong proponent of why Section 3 must be enforced. So um, do you are you hopeful that this gets resolved uh, in your favor, in the favor of the people, really, at the United States Supreme Court? I think that's right. And I, I would say it's in favor of the U.S. Constitution. Um, I, you, the members of the court, the conservative justices, um, typically want to, their whole approach is to conserve the Constitution. And that's what they talk about doing. And they look about how, you know, how was this written and when was this written? Um, and if you look back at the history of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, when it's written, it's post-Civil War, but it's also post-domestic insurrections. Like, um, uh, the whiskey uh, insurrection that was immediately before that. And so these are domestic insurrections and they are domestic issues when people try to bring this. And I think that when you look at the language and the way that it was written, and if you use that sort of um, textual approach and originalist approach and, hey, what did they mean when they wrote this? I think you come to the conclusion as a conservative, ju um, um, as a conservative justice that, okay, well, this is what it means and is broad enough to include what Donald Trump did. I want to talk about the burden of proof that you're asking um, the court to decide in here. And by the way, you're asking for declaratory and injunctive relief. Um, that is the, the specific ask, and that is all. Um, talk about the burden of proof, and this being a civil case, very different from the criminal cases bring, being brought against Donald Trump. You do not have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. You just have to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that uh, Donald Trump's actions fall into the definition of Section 3, and he should therefore or be barred from appearing on the ballot and holding office. Is that correct? 
that that's absolutely correct and that's incredibly insightful uh and jessica the reason why that's important is because so many people are bringing up about this well he hasn't been charged and he hasn't been convicted the 14th amendment says nothing about conviction and in fact when they drafted the 14th amendment i think a lot of uh, the drafters understood that there wouldn't be convictions or charges but what they were really saying is this isn't a punishment the 14th amendment isn't a punishment the 14th amendment just simply says you are not qualified to run for office. Um, it's not like you're getting fined or you're going to jail um, like you would for criminal prosecution. And that's why you have that lower standard by preponderance of the evidence. I, I think we have a better chance of winning than some of these criminal um, complaints, the, the, the criminal, um, you know, the prosecutors that are bringing charges against him because they do have that higher burden to get across. Uh, they may win, they may not, but I think we actually have an even better chance because of that difference. You know, I've asked uh, Donald Sherman, Chief Counsel at Crew, your co-counsel now, uh, about the burden that this puts on Secretary of States to define the term insurrection uh, on their own. I've, I've kind of just raised that 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 uh, challenging argument, and and he gave me a very clear answer. I heard again last night Noah Bookbinder pressed on this issue, but I got to be honest with you, Mario. After reading this 105-page lawsuit, and I encourage our listeners and viewers to go to Cruz's website, citizensfortheethics.org, and read the complaint yourself. I'm frankly offended by the suggestion that defining insurrection or that Trump engaged in insurrection would be difficult or complicated. It is so blatantly obvious and you lay it out so clearly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's our point is, is let us in the court so we can put on evidence, let us in the court so we can have witnesses who can testify about what happened and what it means to be an insurrection. Let us bring in experts who can tell the court, this is what it means. And this is how we should define it. I know a lot of folks are either going, Oh, it is an insurrection. Not enough people died. How many, Larry Tribe talked about this the other day, how many people does it take or how many bad injuries? Uh, I mean, we all saw the videos. We saw police officers being attacked. We saw people desecrating the U.S. Capitol. We saw uh, insurrectionists inside the chambers of the House where they've been voting. You saw the pictures of members of Congress uh, on the floor, um, you know, often trying to duck away or get away. We, we even saw the January 6th hearings where Vice President Pence was, what, 40, 40 feet away from people who were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Um, that, uh, I mean, I, I think that's enough evidence for a neutral fact finder to actually say it's an insurrection. And then when you look at what Donald Trump did in the lead up to that in bringing the people to the Capitol, something that's never been done before, telling them to walk to the Capitol, rallying them up, telling them to fight, um, telling them, targeting Mark Pence, and then doing nothing once he knew that there was violence. Once he'd been informed there was violence and he could stop it, he didn't for hours and hours, which in itself is its own act. Um, and I think when you look at that all together, we are very confident, uh, very confident that we'll be able to prove it. 
Yeah, your complaint really fills in so much of that color, lest we have forgotten any of the horrific incidents on January 6th or what led up to it. One thing that stood out to me was a lot of the racist undertones um, that that were involved not only on January 6th with these neo-Nazi and neo-Confederate symbols, but leading up to it where Donald Trump so overtly attacked predominantly black voting populations in cities like Detroit and Atlanta and Milwaukee. Um, and then you know, following that up with these very racist undertones, this white supremacy uh, sort of movement showing up on January 6th. And then, you know, you you really dove into the violence that he incited, how he said, stand back and stand by to the Proud Boys in that first debate, that debate that I will never forget as feeling like such a, a violation of the entire country. Um, and sure enough, the Proud Boys showed up on January 6th this week. Their leader, Enrique Tarrio, who has been convicted of seditious conspiracy was sentenced to 22 years. Now, I want to bring this up, Mario, because you mentioned this in context of criminal trials. The criminal, Donald Trump has not been charged with, with seditious conspiracy. There is nothing that he has been charged with up until this point that would prevent him from holding office, even if he is convicted. Enforcing Section 3, on the other hand, does. Yeah, that's exactly right. This, is, this lawsuit is the only way to stop him from actually holding office. Um, if he's convicted and if he's sentenced, he can still qualify to be president. Uh, I, I think he would then argue at that point, well, I'm immune. I, I think that's his whole plan. I, I think that's a big reason why he's running for president again. Um, but it's neither here nor there. What we needed to do is we needed to bring a 14th Amendment claim. Uh, we put in a lot of work for that. And, and I'll say, I, I, I do think that it's a good complaint. I, I am proud of what we put together. But I'm going to be really proud of the witnesses we're going to put on. Um, I, I will say that complaint is just a preview uh, of what we plan to show to the court and go through. And I, I think it's going to be powerful. And I think it's going to be the kind of thing that absolutely demonstrates that he engaged in that insurrection. Don, you were talking about before, Donald Trump is a master of coded language, and he uses that. Uh, even the phrase stop the steal uh, was created by, by his, um, uh, his close friend, uh, Rob Stone. And he worked with a lot of these groups. And if you think of the term stop the steal, that's coded language itself. How many of these groups talk about um, other people or other races stealing their rights, stealing their jobs, stealing their country? Uh, stop the steal itself is coded language to get people riled up and ready to fight and to fight against the Constitution and the people who are trying to uh, move forward with the democratic, um, democratic passage of power. Yeah, when you say it that way, and then we think about all of the, you know, attempts by a certain party in this country to to marginalize uh, the voting rights of a large portion of Americans and gerrymander their rights away, it, it sure does put this all in perspective. Um, you mentioned in the lawsuit uh, that there is an urgent public interest, as we've discussed, in getting this resolved promptly. Um, do Is there time? I, I believe in the state of Colorado, it's January 5th that Secretary Griswold has to certify the names for the primary. Is there time to have all your witnesses go on trial, go through the appeals process, and get a resolution before January 5th? We think there is, but but it's it is already a time crunch. With just four months until then, it is absolutely a time crunch. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we brought this in Colorado. 
is because the statute does have a very expedited procedure uh, where we hear uh, the evidence very, very quickly after a challenge. And furthermore, um, it allows for a direct appeal to the Colorado Supreme Court. So there's no intermediate stop at courts of appeal. Um, so that helps us with some of that timing. Um, and then we assume that uh, after the Colorado Supreme Court makes a decision, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court would put this on a rocket docket to hear it. But even with all that, I mean, you're you're talking about putting on evidence, having a full trial, which we absolutely want a full trial so we can put on all our evidence, having one court of appeals hear it and all the briefing that goes along with that, having a decision and then going up to another court of appeals, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court that has to make a decision before January 5th. Uh, throw in Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, um, and this starts to really be compressed. Uh, but we think there's probably just enough time to make sure it happens. I absolutely hope it does. Can you engage in some in some hypotheticals with me? Just because I've been so I've been so like uh, just baffled about what could possibly happen in the event that Donald Trump is convicted of a crime and he's the, you know, the Republican candidate. So let's just play this out for a minute. I mean, for if for whatever reason it doesn't get resolved before January 5th and Donald Trump is put on the primary ballot, let's let's say he becomes the Republican nominee and then a ruling comes down saying that you have in fact won your argument and he's disqualified. What happens then? I I think we start to get into a really crazy position. Um, the question is, does it then go, you know, it, I, the, the worst possible scenario for, frankly, for the Republican Party is if it comes after their convention. Um, so maybe during the convention, they'd be able to make a, an adjustment here or there with delegates. Although I think a lot of them would still be tied to them because um, they might say, well, we still are tied to voting for him. Um, but it does throw it into this, this crazy, well, what do we do? What can they do as a party? How can they fill someone in? Um, would he withdraw? Because maybe they have more options if he withdraws. But I mean, can you see Donald Trump withdrawing after being nominated for president? I can't. Um, that, that, almost, that almost seems laughable. Um, I, I think that they would be stuck in, in a situation that almost doomed them to, to not even be able to take off. Because, because the 14th Amendment bars them with the ballot, but it also just simply bars them from taking office. From office, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't think the Chief Justice could give him the oath. Uh, I think the Chief yeah. Justice would refuse to give him the oath. Um, so, you know, I mean, you are stuck in the situation where you've created a true constitutional crisis, um, and that's why we need to hear it and get it done quickly and and in a timely fashion. Well, I hope if for nothing else, this discussion is a is a signal to the courts we need you to act very, very swiftly here. Right. Yeah. All right, Mario. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, illuminating us, educating us on this lawsuit. I am, as I said to you before, congratulations. I've been on the side that you're on of filing these lawsuits and, and releasing them into the world. And it's, it's such a labor of love and, you know, kind of an exhaling once you finally get to do that. So congratulations. Thank you so much, Jessica. You have a great day. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to leave you with, with one final word because I hear that you are a football fan, otherwise known as soccer in the United States. Is that right? I am. I very much am. This is for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. Um, um, 
14th Amendment is life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mario. Mario Nicholas, of, um, tell us the name of your law firm. I don't want to get it wrong. No, that's, it's, it's KBN Law. KBN Law, co-counseling with crew in Washington. Definitely check out their work again, like I mentioned, on citizensforethics.org. And thank you so much for joining us on this special episode of Lights On. 